Amen. Good morning, Woodside. How are you today? Good. What a beautiful, dreary, wonderful fall afternoon, morning. And like Pastor Alex said, Christmas is upon us. For me, anyways. Um, I hope you're having a great morning, and I'm excited to open up God's word with you uh, today. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 18 with me, uh, that's where we're going to be actually for the next number of weeks. Uh, today we're starting a new series called Conflicted. And if you look in the, um, the series graphic, it says Conflicted. But in parentheses, uh, it says ed, like conflicted education or conflict education. Um, and today, it's fascinating as we dive into Matthew chapter 18, the beginnings of chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is a very interesting chapter of the Bible. And it's incredibly important for us as a believer in Jesus for a number of reasons. Uh, Probably the most is it's Jesus instructing his disciples on the kind of uh, markers of what the community of faith should be characterized by in their relationships. And um, honestly, a lot of times we go to many different areas of the Bible to look at this kind of stuff. We look at the Apostle Paul, John, Peter, and others, where we get a real picture of the New Testament church and how we're called to live as they're calling out different aspects of the first century church together. Uh, but here we get this entire chapter where Jesus himself is patiently teaching on, on what it meant to do things within the spirit of of the, the, the family of God and how we're called to resolve conflict and walk with one another and, and do life with one another. And if you, if you don't know, like if you've not been around church long, it's, it's quite countercultural to the ways of the world we live in. It's actually direct opposite of it, right? I mean, um, you know, one of the markers of conflict, as we'll see today, just starting, I think that's where Jesus starts, is pride, it's arrogance. I mean, most all marriage counseling that I've done, it's pride on one of the other sides, unable to give up their own rights, give up their own uh, um, you know, side of the story, I'm gonna prove my point or whatever it might be. And resolution often and always comes through the opposite of pride, which is what? Humility. Humility, right? And the way of the world today is, is not, like we'll see, is in our text very similar to what we see in the disciples, wanting to be the greatest, wanting to be the, the best or the highest, right? They want to be recognized. In the world we live in, you're going to be going upstream, if you will, because where, where we live in the culture we live, pride reigns, self-righteousness reigns, it's celebrated, self-centeredness is normalized in our culture, and conflict is king, if you haven't recognized. We're, we're in maybe the most polarizing time in my entire life where you have to choose sides on every issue within the church and outside the church. And conflict is reigning in the world around us. So what a better time to walk through how Jesus says to walk through conflict. That we as the church might be a beacon of light and hope to the world as to how we are to walk in the ways of Jesus, right? Because right now, even in the church, the master of our world and pride is killing families, it's killing marriages, it's killing relationships, it's killing the community of faith, it's killing, you know, 
all, all sorts of relationships inside the church and outside of it. And so our hope is that over the num next number of weeks, we can get an education on, on, on resolving conflict and walking together in it. Well, in all of it, um, it starts, my personal opinion, is in pride. And today Jesus addresses the opposite of that and what it looks like to be humble. C.S. Lewis, if you haven't read anything with Lewis, you need to. C.S. Lewis writes these words about humility. He says, to even get near humility, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in a desert. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will, be not, he will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And, and that's really what humility is. I mean, how many people have you been marked by in your life or you've seen a false humility? And you're like, ah, no, I'm nobody. Or, ah, nah, I'm not that good. When, or they're just fishing for those compliments. But what I want you to see today is like Lewis wrote, and like we know in Scripture, it is that in Jesus' kingdom, greatness is defined by humility. Greatness is defined by humility. In the kingdom of Jesus, it's the opposite of the kingdom of this world, that humility is the marker of greatness, not pride. Not self-centeredness, not selfishness, not getting what is yours. It's the opposite. And so I just pose a question for you before we open up the Scriptures. It's for you to wrestle with the idea, is your life marked by humility? Or is it marked by the opposite? And you might be saying, Jim, I'm not a prideful person. Well, I'll tell you the same. If you're thinking about one aspect of pride, yeah, you may not be marked by that. Let me just be completely vulnerable with you, and I'll share my own struggles with pride. Pride shows up in all areas. I per firmly believe that at the root of almost all sin is pride. You see, pride isn't just thinking that you're better than someone, that someone's lower than you, that, you know, you're, you're, you're this or that. No, it's not just one aspect. See, for me, pride shows up in a different way. Pride shows up for me in not this, hey, I look down on people or I think I'm better than people or I'm judgmental towards people. No, my, my pride is is a lack of need or a lack of dependency. And you know what that means? Um, a couple of years ago, um, I went on sabbatical. And part of the reason why I went on sabbatical, I kind of, I don't, still working on some of the details of where I was at. I was in a place of uh, breakdown, driving down the road, crying uncontrollably, not knowing what was going on in my own soul. And spent many months in counseling trying to dig up the trenches of my own soul to figure out what in the world was going on in my life. And through that experience, God really showed me, and there's a lot there, and it goes back to my, my own father wounds and whatever else you want to get into. And I'd love to have a conversation if you ever want to. But at the end of it all, it was a lack of dependency. I love God with all my heart. I want to see the kingdom of God move forward. But most of the time, I don't really need God in my day-to-day -day operational life. 
I've got it. I can figure it out. I'll work harder. I'll do more. I'll find the right person. I'll find the, 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 the resolve for the scenario. And all the while, God sat back and be like, oh, so you don't need me. So you just think you can preach great messages and you don't need me? Man, at all of it, God is just pointing back at me like, Jim, dependence, as I'll tell you in a few moments, is the currency of the kingdom of God. As I've shared with you before, that was one of the things, the biggest things that God showed me in that time. This last week, I was down in Nashville for a number of days at a conference trying to become a better communicator, a preacher. It was a conference just on doing this, the art of teaching, the art of preaching. And I was blown away and reminded again of individuals that shared, that have national platforms, maybe even international platforms, unbelievable communicators, maybe some of the best in the world and the most humble dependent people on the Lord. And I don't think there's, there's a break there. There's a reason why they have a platform. There's a reason why they, they speak with Holy Spirit power is because they are fully always just dependent on the Spirit of God. That, yeah, I can try to overcome uh, what people are saying with, with eloquent words or to share my best thoughts, but without the Spirit of God moving, all of this isn't worth doing. And so just a reminder for me this last week, isn't that beautiful? God does that of my own pride and the humility that we need. So I just ask you for you, for you today to wrestle with. Because your 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 life marked by humility, and now thinking about it differently, maybe you're like, man, I'm not riddled with pride, but maybe your pride's different. Maybe your pride is like, I know God God calls me to do as being a spiritual leader in my home, and my pride is I just don't care. I'm too busy. I think work's more important. Maybe your pride is, you know, um, I, I don't care about conflict with other people. I don't, we're going to get there in a moment. I don't care how I offend people and it's my life to live and who cares what they think and I'll do it my way. And, and, and God speaks to the opposite of that. I, I don't know what it is for you, but I promise you there, there's shavings, there's elements of pride in your own soul. And my prayer today is just to ask the Spirit of God to bring those to light because in the kingdom of God, Pride is not elevated, humility is. Humility is the key to the kingdom of God, and we'll see that today in our text. And so Jesus starts off just by answering a question, what does greatness look like in the community of Christ? And I just want you to see two things today. And the first one is that pursue dependence instead of power. This is what Jesus is calling his disciples to, is to just, just pursue dependence and humility rather than power. Look with me. Matthew 18, we're going to start at the beginning. In verse 1, it says this, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, now listen to what they say. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You ever thought about that before? Ever thought about, man, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Is it this pastor that you see on Instagram that has three million followers and is so influential in the world? Or is it a lowly elderly woman in some home that's a prayer warrior going before the Lord day and night because that's all she can do? Which is it? I'm not here to tell you it's either. I just, I just know that we have our own system of thinking of who is the greatest. And Jesus always does a great job of knocking that down and cutting it off the knees. And it's usually countercultural to what we think it is. So they ask this question, 
And they ask this question for good reason. They're wrestling with it. They are with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They're with the guy that's supposed to be like the, the Messiah for Israel. And, and here he is, and he comes on the scene, and they're the 12 that get to walk with him every single day. And so he's here walking with them, and they're just kind of like in the background. We know there's other passages where are like, well, maybe I'm the greatest. I want to be the greatest. And even bring their mom involved. If you get your mom involved, you've got problems. <laughs> hey, mom, will you try to figure out, hey, Will it be me or will it be him? Like, who's the greatest? Right? Disciples forgetting their humble upbringing as just poor fishermen. And Jesus brought them in. Look what Jesus says. And calling to him a child. This is why I love that there's an illustration right next to you today in the service. As you hear kids in the service crying for their parents, may that be a reminder today of the dependence of children on their parents and the illustration that Jesus has given us today. He, he says this, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he says after that, this is kind of a clarifier, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so that's why I say to pursue dependence instead of power. This is what a, chill, a child represents in the text for us, right? Most, most, most commentators, a lot of commentators believe that they were actually at that moment at Peter's home, maybe with Peter's child brought into the picture. We know from the context they're in Capernaum. This is where Peter lived and he was married, and so we know this, and they think that they may have been in his home. Maybe even his own children are the illustration here in the moment. And Jesus offers this beautiful object lesson. Let me, let me bring a child in and show you and answer your question. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Bring me a child, right? And here's what Jesus is trying to share with them. Their question is about elevation. Like, who's the greatest? Who gets to be number one, if you will. But, but Jesus responds by saying more of like pointing to them. Who says you're even in the kingdom of God? You're so prideful to think that you are one of the greatest. But you don't even know. I want to push on you to make sure you're even a part of the kingdom of God. Right? In his, in his response. They're, they're concerned about how big and shiny their, their trophy is going to be. Or if they're going to be compared to the next guy. Or who, who, what it's going to look like. Jesus brings their attention again. He says, man, based upon your question, you should be thinking whether or not you're even a part of the kingdom of God. And that should not fall flat on us today. This is a pointed question. He says, unless you become like one of these children, right? In a moment, he takes them down a notch. Like, hey, just slow your roll for a minute. Let's think about, like, what's your destination before you think about who you are and what your ranking system is. And Matthew uses the word when Jesus says truly. It's a formula that points out this idea of listen up, pay attention. This is super important. And it would be good for us here in this room today or if you're joining us online to pay attention in this moment, right? And then he gives this conditional clause. He says if, if. If you don't become like this child, then you will never experience my kingdom. If you don't humble yourself like this child, unless you do this, you'll never get that. And his point is super simple, but very, very, very 
profound. You think about a child, right? I mean, like I said, it's an illustration for us today. It's the way God works. When we wrote out, uh, we worked on this probably over a year ago to get the sermon on this day, and it just landed on a day that's a family Sunday. And by the way, if your kid's going nuts in this room, begins to run around, well, blame it on the Spirit of God moving, trust me, don't get overwhelmed or embarrassed. We're okay with it. It's beautiful. We're glad that you're here, and we're glad that they are here with us. But it's a reminder for us, even in this room, right? What are children like with their parents? They're completely trusting, 100% vulnerable. You're ever surprised by what your children tell you? They, they never have an issue of telling you, like, as they get older, we kind of lose some of that. I'll speak to that for a moment. But, man, when they're young, they're children dependent. I mean, they'll tell you anything, and you'll be like, what? what? What did you just say? No problem. Unbelievably vulnerable with you. They're not worried about what they're sharing with you. They're, they're acceptant, completely acceptant of their inability. Dad, can I have chicken nuggets? They have no idea where the chicken nuggets come from. They just know they come out of the oven. Like an infant, think about an infant completely dependent on the love, care, nurture, and nourishment of the mother, right? This is what Jesus is saying. This is what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. This is what it's like to be about God's kingdom, right? He says, man, if you accept your own inability and trust fully in me, in other words, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, pursue dependence instead of power. Pursue complete dependence on me. Like I said to you, my good friend, my counselor, who's a great friend now and mentor, says the currency of the kingdom of God is inability and dependency. Inability and dependency. You see that in the life of Jesus continually as he walks through the earth. Man, you want greatness? It starts with, man, laying down your pride and saying, I am unable to walk out the kingdom of God. I am unable to, to fulfill the scriptures, Jesus. I am unable to fulfill what you've called me to do as a father, a mother, a business partner. I'm unable to, to walk out all of the commands of scripture. I am unable to do this on my own, Lord. And inability and dependence is the start of where God uses you for the kingdom of God. Your greatness begins to rise, not in trophy or accolades or followers or, or, or more people liking you, but in the usability of your soul in the kingdom of God. Your greatness begins to rise as you, you pursue de dependence and inability. That I don't got this. I can't do all of this. Unfortunately, God, I need you. I'd love to do it on my own, but that's not the way of the kingdom I'm not the source, I receive from the source. As John 15 says, you are the vine, I am the, or I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Unless you're connected to the vine, unless you're tapping into the vine, unless you're spending time with the vine, unless you're, you're pursuing relationship with the vine, independence, you can do nothing. You can do stuff, but it doesn't have kingdom power. The Spirit of God is not in it. I, I joked about uh, uh, a little bit ago, but one of maybe the hardest things I'm walking through in this season of life is wrestling with the fact that my kids no longer need me. And if you have kids or your kids are out of the house, my kids are not out of the house by any means. I still have many more years with them. 
but it's really hard for me that they don't really need you anymore. We were gone for five days this week, and like my middle child didn't call me one time. She didn't care. She went from like my, with my mom to another home to another home. And I called her. I'm like, Emma, you miss me? She's like, yeah, Dad. Can I go play now? I'm like, my oldest is 15, almost to be 16. She's going to be driving next year. And, man, I, I, I really hate driving her to soccer practice at 930 at night and getting home at 11. But I think when she does it on her own, I'm going to really miss it. You know, it's, it's just a transition of them becoming independent. And it's hard for a person like me who longs for them to depend on me, right? Think about that for a moment. So much of our earthly relationship can view and help us view and understand a relationship with God. Imagine being the God of the universe knowing that all of his children desperately need him for, for nourishment, sustenance, um, power, um, trust, um, all of the things, and all the while, his children looking back and like, I don't need you anymore. How many times has the Spirit of God broken my heart with like, hey, Jim, you haven't called me in a while? When's the last time you went before me in prayer, Jim, and in needing me and wanting to hear from me? And I wonder if God himself isn't feeling the same way many times that like, man, Jim, doesn't feel like you really need me anymore. You're growing independent of me. And I feel as though it breaks the heart of God when we live in independence because it's not the way of the kingdom of God. We're made for something different. I mean, Jesus is the greatest picture of this. Philippians tells us when the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian church, right, he communicates that Jesus is the model of this, the model of humility, the model of being low, right? You, you, you've known this passage if you're a part of the church for any amount of time. He says this in Philippians 2.13, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves. You could preach that just on conflict alone, right? Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, what happens? This, this is the point, is right humility is the way of the kingdom. Humility is the way of greatness. What's the response? What happens to Jesus? It shows you here, verse 9. Therefore God exalted him. You are the most humble. You're the most exalted now to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue acknowledge, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus is the picture of this for us. See, rather than, the, he's the creator who came down and, and gave his life and hung on a tree for the creation. You don't get more humble than that. You, you don't get a better picture of humility. There's no lower place than experience separation with his father that he's had for all of eternity and carrying our sins, which broke his relationship with God the Father for the first time ever in eternity, Right? And because of that, what? Because he went to the lowest place ever, like I said, 
He's exalted above everyone else. He submitted to power, so he's raised in power. He chose dependence on the Spirit, and he won our independence from the sin or the chains of sin and death and brokenness. See, Jesus is not only, as always uh, is the case, he's not only just preaching about humility and telling his disciples that this is the way of the kingdom and need to become like a child. Jesus is not just the one who shares it, he's also the example of it. Humility is the way of the kingdom. And so I'll just ask you today, is that you? Are you someone that walks in dependence with the Lord? You're, you're someone who actually is someone who's low, that's not always lifting yourself up, trying to be the greatest, right? Because in our humility, that's what leads us to right relationship with God, in your pride is what, what brings you away from God. It's what leads you away from God. In your pride, you think you know better than God. That's what Adam and Eve did in the very beginning. It starts then, and it's still happening to now. In your pride, you think this will satisfy. In your pride, you think that you're better than other people because you don't sin as much as them. That's self-righteousness. In your pride, it shows up everywhere. So my question is, as you... Are you somebody who walks in humility? Because it's the way of the kingdom, and it's not, and this is where we're going to go now, it's not just about you. Your pride or, or lack of humility not just impacts you, but it impacts people around you. And it impacts your relationships. So it's not just impacting your vertical relationship with God, it impacts your horizontal relationships with the community of faith and everyone else around you. That's where it goes next, right? Pursue dependence instead of power. Now, secondly, practice loving care instead of introducing temptation. Now, it seems, let, let, let me show you what he's saying here. He says in verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Sweet mercy. That's quite an illustration. It's pretty pointed. So he's talking about introducing temptation here. He says little ones because he's in the context speaking about children. And so many times we read this is that, yeah, whoever receives one of these children in my name receives me. And so we love to preach about, you know, the needing to care for children and speak up for children and all that kind of stuff, which is all good and it's in the Bible, it's just not in this Bible, this text. Or, or here, we'll, we'll be like then, but whoever causes one of these who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a millstone around his neck and throw it in the depths of the sea. And we think like, man, if we cause our children to sin, I'm going to be cast into the middle of the sea with a 3,000-pound millstone around my neck. Or if I cause children to sin, or whatever it is. But can I just give you a different perspective on the text? When he says little ones, I believe from the text it means everyone in the kingdom of heaven, brothers and sisters in Christ, those followers of Jesus regardless of age. All of God's children, all of God's little ones. And there's a reason why I say that. In the context, this is where you need to become very good readers of the Bible. 
context is very key in all scriptures, but when you look at it here, he says, man, he's calling him, he says, and he calls him a child just before this and put it in the midst of them. He said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And so in the context, he's calling disciples or anyone for that matter that would enter the kingdom of God to become a little one. Later on, as we'll get through in the next couple of weeks, in verse 10, he says, see to it that you don't despise one of these Little ones, I tell you uh, that in heaven, their angels continually view the faces of the Father of heaven. And, and then he talks about leaving the 99 and going after the one, the little one. I firmly believe in the text that the little ones here in this passage are not talking about children or babies. He's just furthering on the, the illustration that he's talking about that, man, Unless you become humble like one of these little ones, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, there's something else I want to point to, Jesus says, about these little ones, right? I want you to receive them. And then number two, whoever causes another, I'll just tell you, another brother in Christ, a young brother of Christ, some believe maybe even newer believers in faith to sin, he says, man, it's better for you to have a great millstone fast around your neck and be cast into the sea. What Jesus is warning here of followers, I think, is the result of pride. It's the opposite of humility. He, he's calling us to guard them by guarding ourselves. Guard other believers by guarding ourselves. Don't introduce temptation into the lives of other believers. Rather, he's saying, pursue holiness. Your holiness actually matters. He's saying, grow up. Don't just stay a little one. You are meant to be an adult. You're meant to go from milk to meat, as the Apostle Paul says. So, so he's calling us to live well, really, in reality, with other believers in Jesus, not causing others to stumble and sin. And it's not in subtle form. He says, man, imagine putting a one-and-a-half-ton slab around your neck and imagine sailing to the middle of the sea and being thrown overboard and trying to swim with 3,000 pounds hanging around your neck. I don't think that's the reality. It's hyperbole to get a point across. It's a really big deal how you live well with other people. It's a really big deal how you function in the community of faith with other people. Right? I've said it a number of other times. But I think it's done a ton of damage to the kingdom of God. This one phrase. It's my personal relationship with Jesus. That's great. It is. It's your personal faith you place in Jesus. I can't put faith in Jesus for you. You have to do it. Everything else in your relationship with Jesus predominantly is experienced in the context of community. How you live well with other believers, how you function with others, aka most people be like, hey, don't judge me lest you be judged. When in reality, Jesus, when he's speaking of that in the New Testament, is not speaking how we're supposed to live functionally as believers because the Apostle Paul calls us to judge one another. If I see you as a brother or sister in Christ, living not according to the ways of Christ, my job is actually to come to confront you and judge you and walk well with you. You see, my personal relationship with Jesus only breeds independence rather than dependence. It is personal. I can't meet with Jesus every single day for you. You have to do it. I can't walk with the Lord for you. You have to do it. 
But what he's saying here is, man, it's experience in this context of communal living. And the way we live, our lack of pride or lack of humility impacts those around us. I'll just be honest with you. I've seen a ton of believers living in utmost pride in the way that they view other believers or just people in the world around them a lot lately. I've had conversations with people. I don't care that I offended them. It's the truth. Oh, I forgot that verse in the Bible. I, I don't really care what they have to say. That sounds like a them problem that they stumbled by the way that I was living. Because uh, it, it's, it's okay for me to do that. Well, maybe it's not profitable, as the Apostle Paul said, especially if you're causing other people to stumble around you. I've seen keyboard warriors on social media speaking their mind and calling out the lack of truth, which is great, with no, no vein, no thread of humility and love. And what Jesus is calling the disciples to here is, your life is not meant to live independently. It's not just your personal relationship with Jesus. It's your personal faith placed in Jesus. And then you live that out in the context of communal living with other people. Iron sharpening iron. Doing life together. That your life has bearing on the people around you. Parents, your life has bearing on your kids. Wives, your, bear, your life has bearing on your husband and vice versa. You as a, as a member of this church has bearing on people in your life group or the lack thereof. You see, Jesus here is assuming that our most intimate community will be the community built on him. And when we fall, it causes collateral damage in the lives around people, right? Our lives are meant to be lived tightly bound. And so much so that when you pull a thread, the whole seam falls apart. We're meant to live life one with another. How else will you understand certain texts in the scriptures in the New Testament? 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 27 says, There should be no division in the body, but that, is parts, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Man, can I just let you know you're part of the body of Christ? You're a part, if this is your church, you're a part of this body. You're a part of a living organism. And if you suffer, or, or if you sever off, maybe you're the arm, the leg, the eye, the mouth, I'm not the hair. I don't know what part you are. <laughs> Man, the whole, the whole body suffers. The whole thing suffers. I just want to remind you, if you're new, if you're joining online, this isn't entertainment for you. This isn't for you to get your weekly fill up so you can leave the rest of the week and feel great about your life. This isn't about you coming to experience one of our experiences. No, this is the body of faith coming together to love and encourage one another, hear prophetically from the Lord, and respond together, and then react. Man, last week I was, to be honest with you, I was utterly overwhelmed by the Spirit of God moving in this place as I came forward and called people to come forward, and I was praying with one brother, and I opened my eyes, and there was, the whole place was filled with people. That's what it's meant to be. family 
the body walking one with another. And I feel as though many times the American church has ripped texts out of the scriptures like the one I just read and the one I'm reading today. Right? When you are bound by your own willful covenant, what we call membership here in the church, and if you want to hear my shtick, if you struggle with membership, I'll share with you why I think it's biblical, according to Hebrews, where your job is to submit under the authority of a church, and my job is to be accountable to your soul before the Lord, and I'm not sure who I'm accountable. Is it everybody who walks in the door? Is it people that have joined in covenantal membership one with another? And we could have that conversation. That's great. But how do we, bound by willful covenant and membership together, for your brothers and sisters in Christ, submitting to spiritual leadership, not use our gifts in the church, not walk with brothers and sisters in, the, in Christ in the church, slip in during the, the first song and slip out during the last song, not being known or knowing other believers. How can we then just leave the church by sending an email or not saying a word because someone said something that offended me? Or I don't like the way that they do the music. Because I just want to skirt conflict rather than have the hard conversations. And that's just one, one of the ways. It could be a million other things. I'll be really honest with you, and I'm running out of time, so I'm going to be as honest as possible. If you are a follower of Jesus and do not have any desire to pursue loving community with other Christians, then you will find it nearly impossible to understand and apply the majority of the New Testament scriptures. Just read it. It's always addressed to the church of Ephesus, the church of Corinth, the church of Thessalonica. If it's Timothy, it's addressing Timothy about addressing the church of Ephesus. You see, it's not meant for you to live an independent life. You're meant to live a dependent life, not only on the Lord, but on one another. And the way you live actually means something. Pride says, I don't need any of you. It's my walk with Jesus, and it's too much for me. I'm too busy. I'm too overwhelmed. I don't want to be known by any in the church because them they'll know my garbage. I said last week, I'm so tired of us not knowing each other's garbage. Walk the aisle and, and hear with a brother and sister in Christ. Pray with them. Who cares if someone knows that you're struggling with pornography? Who cares if someone knows that you're struggling with addiction? Who, who cares if someone knows you're riddled with depression and anxiety? Who cares if you're struggling with inf inf infidelity? Who cares if people know about that? Let other people walk with you and do life with you. Then this is the way of the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying is the way that you live has impact on other people. You see, pride, pride is what Satan uses to say, it's unimportant, don't worry about it, don't, don't allow people in, don't walk as Jesus calls us to. So my, my call for you today is what, what's your next step? Is your next step repentance of a pride that maybe I didn't even address that's in your life and your walk with Jesus? Is it, you know, re-engagement with the church? And the community of God. Man, I, I've learned something very pointed lately. The Spirit of God don't need me to tell you what the issue is. The Spirit of God knows what the issue is, and he can tell you right now, and he probably already has. So may we be good followers of Jesus to respond, starting before we have conversation over the next weeks about conflict. But are we someone who's humble enough to walk with Jesus in the midst of conflict? It starts here, folks. 
And if we can't be humble, man, we're not doing great to be a part of the kingdom of God. What is it for you? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to just take a moment. I want to just, I know I'll be challenging with kids in the room. Just for you to be a moment. The band's going to come. I just want you to be silent before the Lord. Spirit of God, what is it in our lives? Bring it to our hearts and our minds. And if you feel as though there's pride in your life, just in the Spirit of God is bringing that to your heart and your mind, just lay that down before the Lord. Just acknowledge it before God, confessing it. God, I know it's there. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for today, for your goodness. Your goodness in meeting us where we are. Spirit of God, if there is anyone watching online that is walking with pride and relationship and response to you and independence, would you bring that to light now in this moment? And then give them the ability, God. Give us the ability to lay it down at your feet. God, I confess, I say sorry for my lack of dependence with you and my pride and arrogance in thinking that I can often do it on my own. And in humility, God, I lay that before you, asking you to help me grow in it. We do the same with those in this room. Help us to be good people of your kingdom. In the next number of weeks, God, I would, I would just pray that you would move mightily to resolve conflict, maybe that's in this room, with family and friends. And may it start in this moment where we are humble before you, asking you to move and mold us into the people we need to be for your kingdom and your purposes. Make us more like you, Jesus. Make us more like you as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.